Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Spider sense tells me I'm in for some trouble. Something's turning my spider sense off. My spider sense is tingling. I put my spider sense. My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? It is, but not until the very end of the second act. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Today, we've got a very, very special... I feel weird calling it special. It's not like a very special episode. It's just a very weird and different episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's unlike anything we've done before and probably unlike anything we will do on our main feed after maybe yeah we've done similar things uh similar ish things on our patreon feed but for a main feed episode it's a little weird yeah if you looked at the title of this episode and you're like wait i thought they said that the last episode was the series finale of spider-man unlimited and then didn't listen to like the very end of that episode where we give a preview of the next episode (laughs) which i'm i turn off podcasts early sometimes so i i totally get it if that's what you did so we're talking about the unaired season premiere of spider-man unlimited surprise Uh Uh-huh. So this episode was fully written. There is a script that is listed as the final draft that that one of the writers released that is available online. It was only released a few years ago. So we've basically read it. We're going to break it down like we would do any regular episode of the show. Obviously, we can't talk about like funny faces and action sequences and stuff. So it's going to be a little bit lighter of an episode, I guess, maybe. But maybe it'll just be replaced with a lot of weird idiosyncrasies of like the script and script writing. So I I don't know. But yeah, I'm not really (laughs) sure what to expect, like in relation to what we normally do, because we have plot points like we normally do, but we can't react to anything visually. So is it going to be longer, shorter? I don't know. Heavier, lighter? I, like, I have no idea. <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't know either. And and the thing is, that's not all either, because if this is a really light and quick episode, because we are just looking at, like, just dialogue and, and, and set notes, um, uh, blocking, that's the word I was looking for, blocking notes. <laughs> I took screenwriting classes in college. We are also following this up with the also released by the same writer, Arc outline the like official arc outline so this isn't just like a writer like musing and looking back about what the show might have been this is actually what was pitched to fox kids and what they were in the middle of working on when the show was canceled so just for some context we know that the series was renewed for a second season i think based on on the date of the script which we'll get to I think that originally the, the show might have just been commissioned for a full batch of 26 episodes that were split into two seasons because that is a thing that happens, mm-hmm. which is why they just like were working straight into the second season before the show had even really aired. 
So because of that, they had worked pretty significantly into the second season by the time the show was canceled unceremoniously, despite good ratings, which we talk about way back in our episode 40, which was the first episode of Spider-Man Unlimited. So that means that there are still materials that were probably still floating out there, like on people's computers or like CDs or, or discs, I guess. No, they didn't have USB drives back then. So it would have been like floppy disks or CDs probably if, if it exists at all. So that's why it's probably hard to dig these things up, but they can be dug up. And this is the one script that was like fully written or of the scripts that were fully written, I should say. This is the one that like has resurfaced and been recirculated again. Yes. I am so excited because unsurprisingly to anybody who's been listening, I just have such a strong affinity for this show. So the fact that we get to talk about it even a little bit more makes my heart dance. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting because the first season... You know, it was canceled before they knew that it was going to end. So, like, it ends on the most cliffhanger of a cliffhanger. And it's not even the type of thing where it's sort of, like, a resolution at the end of a season and then also leaves, like, things open-ended or, like, a resolution followed by a cliffhanger. It's, like, zero resolution for anything at all. So even though this is just one episode from the second season that still leaves a lot of stuff open and doesn't really resolve everything, I feel like it's almost more of a resolution than the actual series finale was – simply because it at least resolves some of the dangling threads from that particular episode, even if not the entire season, if that makes sense. Yeah, what's kind of wild about this season premiere for season two is that if they had just tacked it on, if they actually had had it produced and tacked it on to the end of the first season, I don't feel like there would have been that much unresolved on a grand scale. There are certainly things where you'd be like, wait, what was going to happen there? But largely, the big things are kind of addressed better for like some in good ways, some in not great ways. Uh, But ultimately, like it ties up quite a bit. (laughs) It does. And I kind of feel like it might have been at least by today's standards, it would have been a better season finale than the actual part one. Simply the cliffhanger isn't as massive as the actual part one cliffhanger, but it does feel like it like at least leads a lot of arcs to a natural endpoint and feels like it's setting up like what you might expect to come in the second season rather than just like stopping like part mm-hmm. one does. Yeah, yeah. Less of a, this one ends with more of like a tease and less of a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which works for a season two premiere, but also would have worked for a season one finale. I think so, so. yeah. And like we said, I think they, they were writing all of this and figuring they would at least get to episode 26, it seems like, and then just were just unceremoniously cut short out of nowhere practically so very cool (laughs) very cool and good tv is great (laughs) (laughs) if you would like to read what we're reading yourself you absolutely can it's very easily accessible so where we're finding this uh script as well as the outline that we're going to talk about later they're all unearthed and posted in about November 2016 by uh, the spider-man unlimited writer larry brody who we've mentioned many many times he's like written like half the season and it's on his website, which is tvwriter.com. The log name for that website is Larry Brody's Guide to Writing for the Medium Everyone Loves to Hate. <laughs> Speaking of, like, is it TV great? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like this, this sort of blog and also community of other, like, TV writer contributors. And the whole purpose of it is to sort of offer tips, insights, and even, like, I think they even offer some classes on the website. So it's one that I haven't really peeked around very much, but I'm sort of interested in looking into further because it actually seems like it could be a really cool resource. And it's still updated to this day. 
Yeah, I uh, Larry Brody's Twitter is actually just like the tvwriter.com Twitter. Um, mm. And well, as far as I understand, like, I don't think I saw him elsewhere. I just I think he he tweets from there, maybe. Gotcha. I, I don't really know. But uh, the Twitter's up to date. So, yeah, you know, they're still doing stuff. <laughs> yep. 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 So, like we said, this is strange because if instead of talking about something we watched, we're talking about something we read and didn't even read like in a narrative form. We read it in a script form. But from here on out, we're going to do our best to treat this as if it was like any other episode we were doing. So, what we are talking about is Spider Man Unlimited Season 2, Episode 1. And it was entitled, or <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's still entitled. The yeah. draft is a thing. So, it is still titled Destiny Unleashed Part 2. The synopsis per. Us, I guess, is uh, is as follows. So, in the thrilling season premiere, Spider-Man teams up with the revolutionaries, Lord Tiger and Dr. Borofsky, huh? To stop the symbiote reign from overtaking Counter-Earth. Meanwhile, Goblin protects his family, Vulture swoops in to save Karen, and X-51 makes the ultimate sacrifice. Um, funny note, because Vulture is a character we're already familiar with, Every time I see Vulture and Karen in proximity to each other, like just the words, uh, mm-hmm. which happens a number of times on this script, my brain just immediately reads like Vulture and Craven. It just like wants <laughs> to go to another familiar Spider-Man <laughs> staple. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so Karen is Craven confirmed, obviously. Of course, of course. The uh, final draft of this script is dated October 1st, 1999, which is the day before the series premiere of Spider-Man Unlimited, which is, yeah. So they, they really were, this is why I think that they were just a commission for like two seasons at once um, rather than like waiting to be renewed. So they were powering right through to the second season before the show even aired. That's how far they were planning, which, you know, is why we could tell that they were sort of playing the long game in certain things when we were watching the show. So they really, they really did think that they were going to go on for, way longer than they expected to. Um, and it seems like it, it obviously was very unexpected for them to get canceled when they did. So, uh, yep. And this, just like pr- almost every episode of Spider-Man Unlimited, was written by Larry Brody and Robert Gregory Brown. <laughs> Which probably honestly served that long-term planning, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Consistent factor. I don't know, like, uh, in TV land, if it's necessarily always considered... I'm sure there's just pros and cons to both, to having, like, consistent writers throughout and bringing in different writers along the way. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They can pick up right where they left off, and that's pretty much what this what this does. So, yep. Diving in, this episode opens right up where the last season left off in the lab where Spider-Man, John, Bromley, Git, and Brock and Cassidy were being held. With the synoptic bursting through the middle of the city, uh, a bunch of earthquakes are ravaging the area, including the building they're in, and the lab is pretty much just like collapsing around them on top of the group, including Goblin, because Goblin is still lingering from the end of that last episode. (laughs) Uh, After a few close calls, the ceiling does eventually come down on the group, but after what I'm assuming would have been an opening... Because this felt like it was supposed to be a reveal. I don't really know where we're supposed to anticipate commercial breaks because I don't think the script decides that, right? But you can kind of guess where they might go. Um, the commercial breaks are supposed to be at the end of each act and then at, before, at the end of this teaser. Like where the breaks are in the script should be where the commercial breaks go usually unless things are like cut up weird. That's what I assumed. But is that what actually happens? See, 
I would think I think that's typical, but then the I, I genuinely don't know. I'm not asking with a motivation. I don't actually know. Well, the because <laughs> it is tip, that's 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 typically what happens because they're written. You know, they're written for like little mini cliffhangers at the end of each act. Like that's the intention for there to be the commercial break. But Spider-Man Limited is also so weird and seems to often have a lot of deleted scenes and be paced weird and have like entirely new stories in the last act sometimes that like I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if scripts get mangled and then it gets re-edited. So, uh, but the intention at the very least, yeah. As at the end of an act, that's where the commercial break is. Or in this case, at the end of a teaser, that's when the commercial break is. So this, I mean, that's, that's yeah, and that's what this felt like. So I'm, I'm imagining we we cut away and they're all like, oh, no. But it turns out that they're fine because, well, not fine. That's an exaggeration. But they're not dead because Spider-Man manages to hold up enough of the rubble or a large piece of rubble or something to prevent any of them from being seriously injured. So I kind of envisioned just one of those many moments where Spider-Man is like using every ounce of his strength to hold something up uh, and prevent it from killing somebody, mm-hmm. which is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after – so he's able to save them and so they're able to make their way out of the lab. And then um, most of the fa- uh, facility crashes down behind them except for a portion – of a large dome that's like referred to as a dome in the script. Um, yeah, I think that this might be an answer to something we were wondering about two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Because in Sins of the Fathers, we weren't sure what the new lab they were referencing was because it felt like they were talking about a direct replacement to a lab. Mm-hmm. But they refer to this place or this facility in the script as Dome 2. So I think they probably were referring to the Atlantic City Dome, and it was just built in New York instead of Atlantic City. Dome 2, that is. Right? I guess. Well, yeah. If so Yeah, they're just directly replacing the Atlantic City Dome, like, space, I guess, with the new lab. Like we said, too many labs. There's just too many labs too many in the labs. show. They too just need labs. to be, like, one headquarters for the bad guys. It would have made things a lot simpler also high evolutionary sucks even more knowing that he can just like fund and 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 provide the resources for a brand new lab to just like pop up when he can't even like provide infrastructure for his planet Uh uh-huh very very quickly too it's just Mm -hmm. where a rocket ship crashed in the middle of the city and you're still able to just like build a science a working science dome maybe maybe that's why they built it in new york because the 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 cleanup from atlantic city was still still being undertaken i guess i don't know where there's oh god maybe they replaced like central park with this lab they're just like you don't need (laughs) parks jeez maybe (laughs) i don't know i didn't even i wasn't even thinking that hard into it honestly because it's just like they're in a science dome whatever maybe there's like 10 of them who knows yeah (laughs) i don't know i just we were wondering so yeah yeah there's there's interesting insight you get reading the script specifically because they refer to things in ways that I don't think characters ever do. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think a character ever refers to it as Dome 2, but the script does. Uh, and there's technology that we get referred to in the script that is never named in the show. Yeah. So it's interesting getting some of those details. And then it, it kind of like opens a dimension of speculation mm-hmm. or connectivity that we wouldn't have otherwise had. Yep. Yep. It is. Uh, it is interesting. Yeah. Dome two. Like, yeah, no one would say that. <laughs> so nope. that, yeah, makes sense. So outside, we're kind of seeing the actual, like the what the big cliffhanger was at the end of the last episode was a bunch of like, it's just a giant like symbiote tendril in the sky and stuff like raining down from it that were presumably symbiotes. So we're kind of seeing exactly 
what that is now. So there's what the script refers to as a symbiote spore drops onto the ground near these guys, near our group. So Bromley is like reaching out to grab it. Like, oh, that looks weird. What is that? What's going on? Like, dude, it's a slime monster that fell out of the sky. What are you doing? (laughs) But Spider-Man and Brock, of course, stop him knowing what it is. Then more spores begin to fall, essentially resulting in like a symbiote spore rainfall. Gross. Yep. Very gross, and this this, this is going to be going on for like the whole episode too. So it's 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 crazy. Cassidy, despite having no personality, <laughs> <laughs> does get a little bit of something to do in this. In that he like loves it. He's like just a little rain, boys. Don't be afraid of your destiny. Uh, so you're a nerd, Cassidy, <laughs> even without the Carnage symbiote. Spider-Man, like, kind of creates, like, this web canopy, but it's not enough to prevent the spores because they're literally eating through the web like acid, which is cool and creepy. Yeah. Oh, I I hate this image. This image of them, like, underneath a canopy, a web canopy that you could presumably see through, and all these, like, slimy, gross symbiote things are just, like, piling up above them. (laughs) Like, ew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... They break through this this web canopy, and Spider-Man defends the group with what the script specifically calls impact webs and spider stingers. I wish we had known what they were called before, because those are cool. Impact webs is a term we're familiar with, uh, if only because the PlayStation game uses that term, I believe. It does, yeah. And that just refers to the the web bombs that work the same way that the PS4 game does. But the spider stingers, I had no idea they were called that. Did you? I don't think so. We just no. called them darts. <laughs> yeah, we have been calling them darts. I, I, yeah, I mean, it makes sense as a name for it. But yeah, yeah I don't think I realized yeah. that either. I don't know. I like it. So, he, yeah, he uses a bunch of those uh, impact webs and spider stingers to, to defend the group. He saves Git from a near symbiote experience. One of many, I think, that Git has, um, or at least a few. And yeah. creates a lean-to shelter out of a bunch of rubble and a big slab of metal from the collapsed facility. I really wish I had a sketch of this, like, shelter they made. Because so much happens underneath this shelter that I I have to imagine it's pretty significant. Yeah. And they even specified, like, Spidey uses his webs to keep it all stuck together, which is a mm-hmm. cool detail. Yeah. Yeah, but no, you're right. They're under the shelter for like a good long while. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, yeah. the episode. I mean, maybe it's just like in an alley and and so the the actual amount of space isn't as grand as maybe my I'm imagining it, but regardless of the actual space they're working in, just the amount of things they do underneath it, uh it has to be pretty pretty significant. Oh, doesn't it say they're on like Yonkers Field, which was like the Yonkers Parkway maybe? Park or something. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was fe- like I thought in my head I was imagining like a baseball field, but I feel like I might have just made that up. <laughs> uh, I never got that impression. Hold on, let me see. I have the I have the script open, uh, and I know they say Yonkers a bunch of times. So let's see what they actually call it. Yonkers Raceway. Oh, Raceway. Okay, huh? Which I, we I don't think we've seen a raceway in the show up to this point. So that would have no. been a new set. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a new set, and it's also kind of, I guess it's, uh, to me, it's a little tough to envision, because it it would mean that this dome and this lab, if I'm understanding correctly, were just, like, next to a race track? Is that what that means? I guess so. I mean, that's what they call the NASCAR 
um they call it like the nascar raceway is like that actually it's yeah. not very far from where i live so yeah I yeah guess so. so they they must have just been like outside yeah because it says exterior yonkers raceway so they, they were next to or or nearby or outside raceway rubble i guess hmm huh. that would have been cool to see i think so any yeah. new sets is is interesting to me yeah yeah well we don't because this was never made <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, we cut to the Vulture, the first time we've seen him in a while. He is being pursued by a couple of machine men when he sees what is referred to as a synoptic volcano, which is uh, appropriate. It's uh, spewing spores, which is like a reference to that final scene of the season one finale. Uh, so we're, I, pretty much what we're seeing is like what we're going to be seeing is like kind of cutting across multiple characters at about at the same time as this is all happening, pretty much as like at the like inciting point or whatever you call it. Well, one thing that's interesting is I feel like for this specifically, this vulture scene, I feel like we would have needed to have one of those uh, little like comic book captions mm-hmm. that says like like a few like, minutes honestly, earlier. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly because because we end up seeing that like the 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 sequence of events would almost require this scene to happen before what we just saw. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, well, unless, unless, which this could be something that might have been more clarified on screen, but it could be that there's more than one synoptic volcano because it is referenced later that this is happening globally. So there would have to be more than one of these things. That's true. And they refer to the area of the basement later. And that's what I'm thinking of. And I can't imagine that the lab that they're in is in or even really that close to the basement. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It, those, those two things together mean that this could really have happened any time. It could be simultaneous. It could be before. It could be after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the downsides of reading this from a script and not seeing it on screen, because I imagine it probably would have been more clear, but eh, maybe. Right. This is maybe, still fun. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, he's he's like trying to avoid the spores while he's flying around. And then the machine men are continuing their pursuit until they see a bear bestial in danger. Oh, no. Uh, and the program is, huh? I said, oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, their program is overridden because they're like their whole deal is to rescue bestials above pursuing the bad guys, I guess. So they go after the bear bestial who's in danger and this allows Vulture to escape. Yes, that was an interesting detail to include because we haven't really gotten something so explicit about the machine men's relationship with bestials because yeah. typically we see them in the context of abusing and harassing humans. So interesting yeah, I, little deet. And I think they could do things with it if they wanted to later on. They could, yeah. I like the detail. I feel like it's misplaced here because a lot of the focus, a big focus of this episode, at least for a chunk of it, is like how poorly the machine men are handling the spore stuff yeah. in, in relation to humans. So like showing them do a good thing, like I feel like that kind of deflates that a little bit. Like they could have left put that in another episode. Well, it's it's weird because we don't know – we don't really know where this is happening in relation to everything else. I mean we were sort of left with the understanding or the assumption probably more accurately – that like all machine men hands on deck were in the basement. Right. This is probably not happening in the basement, but it still it still sort of makes you wonder like, well, why are these machine men pursuing Vulture, who is a bestial? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they would only know that because they probably aren't using their optic sensors to make that determination. Right. Probably using DNA scanning to make that determination. Mm-hmm. Why are they pursuing him in the first place when there's like a massive inquisition happening in the basement? But I don't know. So, yeah, kind of a weird detail to include here, but it's an interesting detail out of context. Exactly. So, 
when another quake hits, what's the script refers to, and we were both talking to each other about this like before recording, the script refers to a monad, like M-O-N-A-D. I don't Yeah. Like we both have heard the word and know the word, but the way it's used in context doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, so right. And and it's funny because both of us I think had accurate but different definitions ready to go. Because mm-hmm. you had mentioned one which was like the single cell organism. Yeah. So I was like, are they referring to like is that another name they're gonna be using for the spores? Because I could see them yeah. I could see the symbiotes being like a protozoan type thing. Like they could argue that it was something right. like that, even though that wouldn't make sense. I could right. see them arguing that, but they don't use it like that. Well, and so, and and I was despite, I was even more confused because to me it's just like the singular version of like a dyad or a triad is a monad. So I was like, what? That's like an abstract concept. What are they talking about? I asked my brother, who is an architect, is this a is this a term in in architecture or in building? And he said he'd never heard it before. Hmm. My only guess, because I I looked into this. I honestly I tried to find a definition, and I searched like a bajillion different things trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can assume is that maybe a monad is like referring to those rooftop water tower things. And here's why I think that might be the case. In at least one context I found, a monad was represented by like a circle with a with a single point in the middle. Hmm. And it sort of looks like the tops of those. <laughs> and what happens next kind of like... I, I, it makes sense. Like he, he flies around a monad and then a monad breaks and crumbles and falls. And I, I honestly can't think of anything in context that makes more sense than some sort of structure on or nearby to a rooftop. I don't know. I, I was I was very tempted to tweet at tvwriters.com and say, what is a monad? <laughs> but I don't know yeah. who's responsible for that word, so I didn't. The only other the only other thought that I might have is that maybe it's like a like a, a slang or nickname for something in the Counter Earth universe that they've used in past scripts, but like obviously we're not familiar with it because this is the first script that we've read from Unlimited. Right. So like maybe that's a name that they came up with that means something like or it's a combination of two words or, or or something or abbreviation or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it is, it seems to be some kind of structure <laughs> and. When another quake hits, it crumbles and um, it uh, hits the force shield being used to keep the basement residents in place during the machine uh, machine men's inquisition, which we saw like in the first part of uh, of Destiny Unleashed, like in the season one finale. So yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is the case. It hits the 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 force shield and then the force shield vanishes. I don't think we're necessarily meant to understand that it broke it. I think these things just kind of happen simultaneously because there's like quakes and stuff at least i want to believe that because it wouldn't really make sense for like a piece of rubble to break a force shield but in any case the force shield breaks at this point i think it's just meant to illustrate that it's there but what this does is it allows the spore rain to reach the basement level so it's not just outside the dome 2 facility it's not just in the the uptown or upper world i think the script refers to that as the upper world right i think we have a term for it now yeah i believe so But now it's just sort of raining all over New York. So we see this sort of illustrated as a man is like taken by the spores and a bunch of humans down in the basement are like watching along in horror. And Vulture, after saving one of the humans, um, not the the one that's being taken over, but after saving a human (laughs) is like, what is going on? I have no idea, but I bet I know who has the answers. And he sets off to find the high evolutionary. Yep. 
It's so interesting that Vulture is like in like it makes sense because they're trying to just kind of bring all the threads together, I guess. But he just does his own thing throughout the entire episode. Although I guess actually no, I take that back. I do I like how it ends up intersecting later. So I'm gonna put a pin in that actually. <laughs> so outside of Naoko's clinic, we see a man hit with a spore. Naoko does try to like knock it off, but she's not able to. So she brings him inside, and uh, Shane turns on this like ultrasound equipment. Which is very – we know Naoko like, has knowledge of the symbiotes and everything. She's dealt with them before. She's dealt with Eddie Brock and Venom before. So, mm-hmm. like, she knows how this all works. So, very cool that, like, she has this at the ready. So, yeah, she uses, like, ultrasound equipment to get the symbiote off of the guy. Unfortunately, her secret weapon breaks in the chaos and the spores begin to attack the clinic windows. Yes. We don't get a ton of Naoko in this this episode script, but everything she does is pretty badass. Oh, yeah. She's oh, like trying to yeah. beat a symbiote spore with like a broomstick. <laughs> it's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> She's so good. Yep. <laughs> so we cut back to that makeshift lean to shelter thing that spider-man made and spider-man is explaining brock and cassidy's withdrawal from the symbiotes to bromley who's like what is up with these guys and he he specifically in the script refers to it as withdrawal i mean it, it wasn't just us making the comparison to a drug withdrawal the script and the creators themselves very clearly intended for that to be the case uh-huh so that's kind of cool to see that we were right right on on target with that and as this is happening our buddy Lord Tiger shows up. What's up, Lord Tiger? Hell yeah. I, I'm i so glad that like they seem to have been just going full hard on his turn to the good side. Because mm-hmm. he teams with, with them really nicely in this one, and I think that's great. And I would have loved to see more of that. Yeah, I, I imagine, and it'll be interesting to see, but I imagine that that would have carried out for sure. The thing is, we get some interesting info here hmm. that... I don't think we can trust, but no. whether or not we can certainly will determine what Lord Tiger's role is later. Uh, because Lord Tiger states that the High Evolutionary and Sir Ram are apparently dead under the facility rubble. He literally says dead. There's no way that's true. <laughs> no way. There's no way. They would not kill off the two main villains off screen after absolutely having the opposite of a climactic battle. Like we complained about how anticlimactic that fight against the high evolutionary ended up being. And then to just be like, and rubble fell on them. They're dead now. Like, obviously, no, they're they're trying to, to hold them off and then they're going to bring them back in some big way later on. That and the way this episode ends, there is no way they're dead. If this episode ended differently and and projected a different trajectory for this mm-hmm. season, I might have bought that this was possible. I I don't think I would believe it until it was definitive, mm-hmm. but I it, I wouldn't have completely crossed it off the board because if this episode were setting up a season long arc, guess what? It doesn't seem to be. <laughs> nope. Not in the way that we were hoping, or at least I was hoping. <laughs> Remember when I was joking at the end of the last one? Like, they're just going to wrap it up at the end of the episode. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> Whoops. I think I accidentally predicted the uh, whole thing. <laughs> thanks, man. Well, if that weren't the case, then I might buy this because there's a larger conflict. But even then, I would expect them to appear in season three or at the finale of season two or something. So mm-hmm. this is this info is not to be trusted. Um, but for the time being, it's just out there. Nobody really questions it. Um, in fact, folks celebrate. It. Bromley and Goblin are like, hell yeah, man. And Tiger's like, excuse you, like, watch your mouth. And they almost fight, but Spider-Man intervenes because they got bigger problems. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so Lord Tiger suggests that if they can get to Dr. Borovsky's lab, oh, they'll be able to uh, access Datasonic equipment to help them fight off the Synoptic. So it's really interesting that that one-off episode that we kind of, not complained, but we're sort of like acknowledging like, yeah, it's kind of a standalone, this Venom episode. It's cool throwback. There's like some interesting things in it, but it's not like super complex or anything. It's like the key to this, the entire like finale and like resolution of this yeah, episode. So I dig it. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, I like it. I like that they're, they're calling back to that piece. That's another thing that we were like, what if that's like the secret key to all of this? And it is. So cool. Yeah. We were right. Uh, they figure that, that out. So nice callback to that. Great idea. And uh, Lord Tiger also gestures to the High Evolutionary's personal transport nearby, which is trapped underneath rubble. Yeah. I want to know what this vehicle looks like because it's supposed to fit a lot of people. And right? I guess it's just like a tank, basically, because it's under rubble but not destroyed. So yeah. I don't know. Somebody, somebody draw that for me because we'll never find out. So, okay, we cut away from that, and Vulture is arriving at Wondergore Castle. Put a pin in that, because that's all we get for the time being about Vulture. Inside the castle, Karen is probably in that same room, to be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she frees herself from her restraints with a bobby pin. Uh, They must have figured out, like, rope won't hold her. Let's give her some handcuffs. (laughs) Guess what? That's not going to work either, because Karen is sometimes skilled at things. Um, Having learned from her previous experience at Wondergore, I do like this. She throws a bust of the High Evolutionary at the room's open doorway, and, as she probably expected, it hits a force shield. I love that. That is smart. She doesn't just run into a force field again. (laughs) Yep. And I like that, like, throughout... throughout all of this with her she's always just like a, just like fuck you to the high evolutionary like oh yeah every, every piece of equipment she uses is like an image of him uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like i'm gonna throw you at the fucking wall <laughs> yeah yeah she's like constantly confronted with high evolutionary stuff that ends up being broken or breaking or shattering or falling on the ground it's beautiful and yeah. to be fair like she has agency throughout until like a a certain point where I don't know that anybody could have had agency. So yeah. she's she's trying really hard to solve her own problem here, and she she's never inactive or passive in this episode. Oh, yeah. I, I do like her in this one, which is nice considering she did absolutely nothing in the actual mm-hmm. finale. So nice little yeah. redemption here, here yeah, at the end for her. It. Yeah. So we cut back to the lean-to once again. Um, Brock has officially passed out, and Cassidy is near unconscious while the others work to free the vehicle from the rubble. As they're working, Cassidy notices the canisters, those, like, silver spheres that we saw in the original Borofsky episode. He notices them in the vehicle, and he can tell that they're holding the symbiotes inside because they are once again cracked, and the symbiotes are, like, seeping out, I guess. Mm-hmm. First off, get a better canister because right? every time we've seen the symbiote in them, they have cracked and broken. <laughs> so yikes. But this is this is interesting and I like the way they handle this because Cassidy sees this and is like, ooh, okay, we're in business here. This is great. I think that one of the, the group like turns back to check on Venom and Cassidy. I think it's Bromley probably. Yeah. And Cassidy notices this and sort of like is like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't get too excited. And then just, like, pretends to pass out um, mm-hmm. so that he doesn't, like, raise any suspicion about what he's up to or draw any attention to the fact that the symbiotes are, are are seeping out of the vehicle, that they are trying to free from rubble. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. This is the first time in the whole series that I've, like, enjoyed, purely enjoyed something that they've given Cassidy to do or Carnage to do or whatever. Because they actually gave him something to do other than, like, yeah. talk about his babies and his yeah. brother. 
It's still not like super great because it's just like him being excited about reuniting with a symbiote, which we would mm-hmm. expect him to be anyway, but it's still more than what we've gotten. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, it's a nice, like they highlight the contrast between Eddie and, and Cassidy too, which I, which I appreciate. Yes. Yeah. They distinguish them. What? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, maybe they would have been written better this season. Uh, like now that they've gotten all the setup stuff out of the way, I don't know. I feel comfortable trusting this this episode and this script to indicate that they would have been. Yeah. I think they do some pretty dramatic things between those two uh, or stark things between those two that indicate they would have further distinguished or begun to distinguish the two of them. Right. I Especially, I, well, I would think so because their goals are going to be different from here on out. They'd have to be because their main right. like their main mission essentially like blew up. I mean, I'm sure that they haven't destroyed the whole of the synoptics. That's probably still going to be a factor, but like now everyone kind of knows that it exists in some kind of form. So yeah. they they're just they would just have to operate differently no matter what. So yeah, uh that's that's all interesting. We'll never see it. But I would be interested I'm, I'm interested how much of this like is revealed in the in the outline that we're going to read. I'm very excited to read that. Mm-hmm. After freeing the vehicle from the rubble, uh Goblin is like, "All right, peace out guys. I'm leaving." Uh they're like, "What?" Uh and he <laughs> says that he needs to save his family. And everybody's like, "Okay. Anyway, sure man." <laughs> and uh, Cassidy jumps up, grabs Brock, begins moving him toward the symbiotes, despite like Brock absolutely not wanting to go back to his old vice. Mm-hmm. So he's protesting, but uh, it's a pretty like not <laughs> pretty, pretty scary, horrifying kind of sequence because it's like Brock's being dragged. And then, like, he's, like, protesting, and then it does end up, like, overtaking both of them no matter what. And it's meant to, I think, sort of evoke the same sequence that we saw in in the One is Alonious number episode where he's, like, kind of doing it reluctantly, except, mm-hmm. like, to the nth power because not it's not just reluctantly. It's, like, I absolutely oppose this and I hate yeah. it. And then very quickly after, it's like, no, actually, I love it uh, once he's overtaken. So Yeah, it's like horrifying in its most literal sense in that this this script frequently refers to the, the symbiote's behavior as like grabbing ankles or reaching out or or these sort of like monstrous actions. And I think Brock is like literally dragged both by Cassidy and the symbiotes if i'm remembering correctly yeah so like i think in the most literal sense it's horrifying but when you when you sort of like strip away a layer it's horrifying too because brock knows he'll die like brock knows that not being reunited with the symbiote means he will probably die but he still he still insists on not doing it because he would rather be human and die than be back with venom and lose all agency over himself Mm -hmm. Um, which is understandable but just like a really dark thing to explore (laughs) Uh and they don't explore it deeply we just know that that's the case like we can connect the dots yep again they had that the other actual venom centric episode to kind of set up like eddie's mindset which i I, i'm just like so in awe of like how important that episode ended up being to the whole end game i love that yeah yeah i like it i like it a lot elsewhere the whole person that we were missing through the entire last episode x51's finally in the house y'all Yes, yes. This makes me feel even more strongly that this should have just been the finale. Yeah. Just make it a two-part finale. Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, he gets the biggest, like, arc resolution in this, too, uh-huh. out of everybody. So, yeah, so he he's out there watching the chaos, and what he is noticing, which we kind of 
touched on a little bit earlier is that the machine men are kind of still carrying out the same mission that they had in the last episode, despite, you know, the world kind of ending right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Oh my God. And recognizes that, you know, they're just following the programming, which means that like, they're only going to be causing more and more harm. Like the world is burning and they're still just going to be out like doing their little bullshit tasks that are that are just like hurting everyday people um sound familiar and mm-hmm. he says that there's only one way to stop them and flies off to we will see later <laughs> yeah gosh i wish i wish that i could watch the way that they would do this scene because it's it's it, 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 it's interesting i don't read a lot of scripts it's not something i have done and i i'm not opposed to it i just don't um eh. so i don't have a lot of experience with it it's not fun. It's never but, very fun reading scripts. No, I thought this was really fun. I I, I had a ton of fun reading this. Like I, there it's were good. times where I, like I was I surprised myself at how surprised I was able to be reading a script. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. Well, good. <laughs> because there were there were a number of moments where I was like, oh my gosh! Like as I was reading through, like I still was able to be surprised, even though I wasn't watching it on screen. Like it was still mm-hmm. for me like a pretty surprisingly dynamic experience. Well, awesome! And I felt like I was able to visualize a lot of things, but unfortunately, since it's not in front of me, the actual visualization, there were certain things where I was like, man, I'm envisioning this a certain way, but I'd really love to see what their particular vision was for it. This mm-hmm. was one of them where you get that. You know, there's only one way to stop them. Dun, dun, dun. Well, what does he mean? What is he going to do? You, know, <laughs> you don't know because they cut away back to the freaking lean-to. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I kind of think that X-51 stuff in this episode is my favorite part of it, which is not surprising for, like, me. No, I, I, I agree with you. And I think they probably knew that. X, X-51 is the sort of, like, emotional punch of this episode. Nothing yeah. hits as hard, I think, as X-51 in this episode. Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned they go back to the lean-to, and, and honestly, that makes sense. I don't know why I'm, like, joking about it other than it's just, like, imagining them under this lean-to, like, all episode long. Um, <laughs> but that's where most of the action's happening, so it's, it's fine that they keep going back to it. So Spider-Man attempts to stop the symbiotes with his Sonics, which makes sense, but they don't really work. And he realizes, shoot, I've been using my impact web and my spider stingers so much that my suit might not have enough juice left for one of its higher functions like the sonics so i like that's i like that detail they've really carried that throughout this idea that his suit has a limited amount of juice essentially i know it allows them to conveniently do these types of things but they explained it so early on that it's like i don't know i don't really second guess it when it happens and they haven't really abused it yet i don't think I think I think so because it's it's better than just being out of webbing because it's like a thing that's it's sort of a dynamic conflict that he has within mm-hmm. it like what his suit running out of power is going to affect differs every time because it really depends on what t- piece of equipment he needs so at the yeah. very least it's always going to be a different situation and so you never like you know with the webbing thing it's like if he's falling in an action sequence you can probably guess like he's probably going to be out of webbing yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like with this case, you never know when, when there's going to be this conflict because literally any type of fight he's in, he might want to use one of his gadgets. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So that does not work. Venom takes advantage of this by tossing a spore at Spider-Man and I think it hits him and begins to do its thing. But Lord Tiger blasts it off. This is probably the first time in the episode we see that a blaster has like an effect, like just a regular blaster has an effect on the spores. It doesn't really help given the fact that, like, they're raining down on the earth, but it, but it is good to know. And I think it comes back up later just from a logistic standpoint. It's good to know that they can at least do that. Mm-hmm. So he blasted off to Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man clashes with the symbiotes and Venom does his little thing about like bringing Spider-Man back into the fold and trying to tempt him back in. But it doesn't work, at least on Spider-Man. It does, however, happen to another character named Bromley. We get symbiote Bromley. Sim Bromleyote. <laughs> Bromleyote. Brom Sim Brom Bromley. Bromleyote. He's a symbiote. <laughs> This is the thing that I am most upset about not being able to see. Bromley is the first of of many people who will become what the script refers to as neo-symbiotes. And at first, when I was reading through this, I was thinking, okay, a neo-symbiote is probably what we saw early on in season one. Somebody who kind of goes zombie mode, but has one of the like chest hugger things on them, right? Mm -hmm. But as the episode continues and the way that they describe what's going on, it becomes abundantly clear that that's not what we're looking at. And that this does, in fact, overwhelm and completely consume and transform the hosts that it affects. But we don't get any sort of description of what they look like. Yeah. We do get like a detail later that says like you can't tell whether the host is a human or a bestial, which is a little bit of a bummer to me. But it it, it implies the transformation is so drastic that perhaps if we didn't already know who Bromley was, we wouldn't necessarily know that it was a human to begin with or or that it's a completely different model or design. But I think we also... I I think there's got to be some distinguishing factor because so many people, spoiler alert, become neo-symbiotes that I I can't believe that they would make them all look exactly the same. So I don't know. I just – I want to know what they look like. I think that they would for cost-saving measures because this is an episode that's going to have – a lot of crazy animations having symbiotes like flowing and slithering all over people. You think they're just like blobs though? Like that's I don't think they're blobs, but I think that they probably are all the same design. I think they're probably just kind of a general symbiote design. It doesn't mean it can't look cool, but I think that they're probably all, all roughly the same. Maybe if, if there's any change, maybe there'll be like a slightly different body type or a little taller or shorter or or something something. like that. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't need like, I don't need like dramatic like differences say between like what, you know, spider Gwen venom looks like versus like Captain America Venom, but like right. just something that distinguishes body type would be fine. Single details would be fine. It would be really funny if, if Neo Symbiote Bromley had his tie, but otherwise <laughs> looked exactly like all the other Neo Symbiotes. That'd, That'd be, be funny. Fun. <laughs> they all had just like one element of their, of yeah. their characters. That'd I would love that. <laughs> I was, I was picturing them. And the other thing is that they refer to them as slithering a lot. And yeah, I can't they do and oozing. Yeah. So like, I wonder if, they're a little more fluid than like Venom and Carnage are normally portrayed. But then again, they also describe Venom and Carnage as slithering in this too. So like that might just be like them describing creepy movement in general, not like literally slithering like a snake. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I was picturing them because the spores themselves are yellow, like maybe kind of like a scream type color scheme to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just instead of like the hair, it's just like a round head. Yeah. And then maybe just a little more oozy than normal. Yeah, that but. makes sense. Yeah, I hope. I hope so. I mean, worst case scenario is that they're all just sort of blobby, which I think is possible, but hopefully not the case. Yeah. I'd also hope that that wouldn't be because that would even that would be really hard to an- animate just like a crap ton of like individual blobs that are constantly moving. It would probably look really awful on screen if that's what they yeah. <laughs> went yeah. for. So. It could look pretty awful, but I, I wouldn't put it past them necessarily. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> blobs with faces, you know? That's true. 
So now there are three symbiotes, basically. <laughs> and these three symbiotes continue to attack Spidey, but the others have gotten the vehicle up and running. So Spider-Man does manage to hitch a ride on the vehicle. I think he does his little web thing, so he's like hanging on the back. And I guess Git wasn't in the vehicle either, so he grabs Git and the two of them are hanging on the back. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the way that they manage to escape the full attack, because I think... I think the three symbiotes are kind of doing like all out tendril like spike stuff. Yeah. Which probably looked really cool. They they managed to escape this because Lord Tiger like has this cannon on the vehicle. This is why I think it must be a tank of some kind. And like shoots at the the symbiotes, which like holds them off and then ends up blasting what's what's left of the dome, I guess. And this lands on top of Venom and Carnage. It doesn't land on Bromley, though, because Spider-Man saves symbiote bromley from the rubble uh but still leaves him behind because he's still symbiote bromley so he saves him but leaves him behind right to gets sadness understandable yeah. a couple of notes about this whole sequence i, I had I, I i don't know i don't i can't place exactly when each of them happened but i think it's actually right after brock becomes venom again and then they start fighting it specifies that spidey ton- punches venom in the tongue specifically which yeah is that funny. was weird very weird and also Venom at another point turns his feet into knives. Yes. Like Carnage does. So uh-huh. that's a power he has now. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, that's weird. And and doesn't bode well for the distinguishing between the two because that's not really a Venomy thing to do. <laughs> I nope. don't think. <laughs> nope. Not at all. <laughs> nah, but it would have been interesting to see. So mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we cut back to the clinic and we have uh, Naoko and Shane realizing that the machine men are still like operating on their directive, what X51 also came to that same conclusion so um they're recognizing that they're like still doing their whole pull civilians out and register them or scan them or whatever the hell they were doing i like their realization though because the way that their realization seems to be presented is don't they understand what's going on outside and the machine men are continuing to do their like please vacate your homes so, like, from their perspective, they're being, like, pushed outside into a worse situation Yeah, personally. And I feel like there's, like, a weird horror to that where it's like, no, God, like, we're trying to stay inside away from that and you're going to force us outside into it. Like, it's just a weird compounding of horrible things. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And Shane's, like, nine. So it's even, like, more terrifying. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's no, I like it. I think it's really smart the way that they're sort of dovetailing these two different big storylines like into each other and putting them into conflict essentially in a way that like just makes it worse for everybody. Yep. It's actually I, I think it's a really strong point of this episode in particular because um, mm-hmm. they really easily could have dropped the ball and just been like, OK, the high evolutionary thing's done. Now we're just moving on to the symbiote thing. But it's like, no, that stuff. Still going on. That's not over. That is oh, absolutely yeah. not going to be over yet. And and we even like double down on the horror stuff because then like another a machine man busts in and he's literally covering in the spores that have rained on him. So now like even if they don't leave, the spores are being brought to them by the shitty policemen. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, uh, machine men. Like <laughs> <laughs> that actually was an accident. <laughs> but yeah, like. God, I like I hate it, but like I love it. It's so yeah. it's so well done. It's yeah, it's really well done, but it's it's horrifying at the same time. So this is where we do actually learn about X51's plan. Oh gosh, I just got goosebumps even just like recalling it. So 
He arrives at the Machine Man Central Storage Facility, and he infiltrates the building, as we've seen before, by fooling the outside guard into thinking he's one of them, and he makes his way to a control panel inside and overrides the security. Eventually, he states, commence upgrade, and he receives the following warning, word for word. Warning. Bioscan indicates a unique identity system integrated into source unit X51. If you proceed, all such data will be erased and you will cease to function. Do you wish to continue? Which, if you didn't gather, means that this computer knows that there is a unique personality, an operating system or something, inside the unit it's connected to and is telling it all of that unique stuff, it's gonna go away if you say yes. And X-51 says yes. And he says to himself that the sacrifice that he's making is minor compared to the good that it will do. And we proceed to cry all of our faces off. X-51 has the most humanity out of anybody on this show and he's not even a human. But that's the whole point. You know, it's written really well in the script. I know. Like, they clearly cared about this character. (laughs) And I, I really appreciate that. My favorite part of it is the bit... Where before he decides to do what he's doing, he like looks at himself. He looks like he looks at himself in like shiny metal and like stares at his own reflection. Like he's actually like seeing, seeing his self, like seeing his sense of self and like his, his like unique ability to perceive himself, which no other machine man has been able to do. It's so. Which will be gone. Yeah. Like it's so (laughs) beautiful and poetic. Like it's uh, the, the the complete representation of like what makes him unique and being basically giving like one last look to the thing that like yeah. made him who he is before being like it's cool. He also references his soul too. I know. Oh my gosh, it was that I thought was like worded a little weirdly, but just the fact that he mentions his own soul is like devastating. Yeah, but it's 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 kind of and and I I I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't actually the end of X fifty one. But even if if it were, and if it is, you know, it it it's such a great, it's not a happy ending for him, but it's such a great ending for him because his whole thing was trying to figure out what his purpose was for living mm-hmm. um, and why he existed and why he got to the point where he could be sentient and be aware of himself. And all of those things are all like, are what make this moment possible. And so having that moment where he looks in the mirror and recognizes himself and understands his, his self and his role and his purpose, even if just in that moment, is is him getting an answer, even if it's not necessarily the answer he expected. It's it's really poetic. It's so <laughs> <beautiful>. really sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we see the result of this immediately. Uh, they don't hold that back at all because we cut back to the clinic and we see like the machine man that has the spores all over him. He's pursuing Naoko and that injured man from earlier. This uh, this other big moment that we get in the middle of this big emotional moment, and I think this is also meant to be emotional too, mm-hmm. is that Goblin swoops in just in time to throw a pumpkin bomb at the spores. And he does yell like Naoko, which is a thing that, that her husband and Shane's dad probably would have said at certain points because yep. just saying that one thing, Shane's like, that guy sounds like dad. <laughs> but before Goblin can respond, the machine man, uh, machine man grabs Goblin, aims his finger gun at Naoko, but this is the resolution where, where X-51 comes back in. It immediately glitches out uh, before it can do anything and then broadcasts what's identified as X-51's voice. So, like, 
it's the same voice actor, but like he does deliver lines slightly differently, like a little more warmly and a little more yeah. passionately or compassionately. So in X-51's voice, he says, update complete. Greetings, citizens. So we know for sure that it definitely actually happened for sure. 100% period. <laughs> yep. The only, and I, I, I sort of feel like probably cause because he has that reference to his soul, like living yeah. on or whatever. Like I'm sure he's probably, there's probably a version of his consciousness that's like in the high evolutionary computer or like in the uh, machine men. And it would be cool if like, this is a permanent change and the machine men are never like antagonists anymore because he's like permanently chained, like overwritten all of their systems and everything. And even if he's not like actively there, like his consciousness has sort of been spread out among them. So like, they're always going to be like forces for good or something like that. Like, oh, I don't know how that would work. Take. I don't know how it would work or look. I, I wouldn't expect that, but I want to explore it. I like this idea that X-51 kind of exists in all of the machine men, not as like a fully conscious, this is X-51, but like there is sort of an X-51-ness about them that can be sort of tapped into. Yeah. I think it's kind of a cool concept. I expect that it probably was simply to shut this particular thing down and 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 what we got was a consequence of that, not necessarily like a long-term effect and that at some point either Bromley would be able to discover that he's still out there and download him into something else either in a computer or into another body or something like that yeah but I do like the sort of more challenging as like abstract aspect of him being more of a like an entity spread across a population (laughs) yeah like he gets he like lives on in spirit essentially yeah. Um, again, don't know how that would look, but considering yeah. there's no more of this, I'm happy with living living with that. <laughs> what happens? So, yeah. Yes. It's so. Oh God, I love I love what they do with him. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's so good. So Naoko turns to Goblin and specifically calls him Hector. To which Goblin responds by pulling his mask off, revealing Hector. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> they hug, but their moment is interrupted by a spore that attacks Naoko and begins spreading on her. Hector is then attacked as well, and both of them are actually taken over by the Synoptic. Holy shit! Yeah, so that's like three main characters now that we've seen turn into Neo symbiotes, and then because our hearts weren't ripped out enough and stomped on hard enough, they cut <laughs> back to the security facility where they show a lifeless X fifty one sitting on the floor of the security building, and they even like describe in the script like his head is sort of like off to the side and his eyes are lifeless. Like, oh, why did God. you have to do that to us? Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Uh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I really only have one one sort of – I wouldn't even call it a complaint, just more like a regret, I guess, for th- for this as the resolution to his story. If, if, this was, if this was the end, and even if it's not, just as sort of like an emotional climax of a story or whatever, I do wish that – we had seen him interact with like any of the main characters, like, you know, like he didn't have to like say goodbye to anyone. Cause obviously a lot is going on and I don't know where you could have fit that in or anything, but like, it's kind of a bummer that he does all of this independently and no one theoretically will ever know that he did this. I kind of love that though. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily love that. I don't know. There's something, there's something especially tragic in like a really, I don't know, almost like mm. existential and empty way that he 
he just immediately goes and does this and does it simply for good and and people may never know he did it like that's true i don't know i kind of love that and i i I can see why people wouldn't because it's it's really really sort of like dark and depressing but i i kind of i don't i I don't know why but i kind of love the idea of 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 doing something almost not necessarily anonymously because that almost comes with like a like a pride to it but like he just he just does it and yeah. he does it because it's the right thing to do and there's something incredibly sad and haunting about the fact that he does it alone and no one no one may ever know. No, that's true. I, I agree. I do agree with that. It's sort of like a who you are in the dark kind of situation. Like yeah. there's this was you know, this was fundamentally like his decision and a very selfless decision. Uh selfless. It's still really sad for him though. And and probably even sadder for the people who will never know what happened. Uh-huh. Like yeah. he just he he theoretically could just disappear from their lives and they will never know. I, I that's that's honestly the reason why I think he probably would come back. Yeah. But since this is all we get um, until maybe we read the arc, who knows? It's it's really <laughs> it's really haunting and and sort of nightmarish. The kind of thing that would would really stick with you forever if you were in his circle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a uh, beautiful story. <laughs> gosh. Oh, I'm like actually emotional. It's really really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and then until until who knows when maybe never that's that's pretty much the last we see of x51 yep well there's still actually a pretty significant amount of the episode left after that they really pack a lot into this one huh they do i can't imagine all of this would actually have made no. the edit because it no. seems like too much it's way too much the script's long it's really yeah. long yeah it is. it's like 39 pages and like granted the formatting is a little weird like whatever program they're importing it from like messed up the formatting i think when it was like exported out of it i guess because just it's just kind of a bonkers looking script in some places yeah. but even still so like it's probably wouldn't actually be a 39 page script if it was like formatted correctly mm. but even still i think it would have been i think it was way too long of a script i i think it it probably is evidence for some of the stuff that we thought were problems along the way if all of their scripts looked like this it's no wonder that things felt rushed or chopped or underdeveloped on screen oh yeah you know d- duh like, if you consider that this was all <laughs> written up to this episode through this episode was written before the episodes were aired. That means uh-huh. that a significant number of episodes were written before they saw had them in the can. Yeah. Which means that like they wrote a lot without really having a full feel of like the pace of mm-hmm. how the cartoon was going to look. So, you know, that's a that that's a normal thing in cartoons that they sort of have to struggle with the pacing of it over time with realizing how much they're able to write dependent on like what their cartoon like looks like and how the animation is. So they probably didn't realize uh, yeah. up through this point how how big their scripts were. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. Now I wish I could read all the other scripts because I wonder if they. I don't think we ever really got any terribly bad episodes, but I wonder if we would end up with even better episodes or very good episodes where we thought episodes were just fine. Yeah, just allowing some of these things to breathe a little bit, like this script does. Yeah, yeah. Well, underground. We, uh, we cut to the high evolutionary vehicle carrying John, Lord Tiger, Spider-Man, and Git. And they are heading towards Empire State University. But uh, before we see more of that, we cut right back to Wondergore Castle. And we're kind of cutting back and forth between Karen and Vulture since they are in the same location. Um, and we're going to see their storylines intersect very shortly. So Karen is kind of uh, trying to like break through a wall with a metal lamp and is having little success. And then another quake occurs and the uh, wall breaks open into the hallway. So she's like, okay, well, that worked out for me. <laughs> yeah. 
you you could have let her you could have let her crack the wall, writers. You could have like I like that she is constantly doing something in this episode. You don't need to undercut her by I think the script literally says like barely making a dent. <laughs> Just let her crack the wall, okay? Right, right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so as she runs out of her room, that's when Vulture encounters a guard who, like, he's ruffling up a little bit. But then the guard's just like, uh, I just want to leave. And, and High Evolutionary isn't at the castle anyway, so let me go. Because, you know, the world's, like, ending outside. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> Karen uh, runs down the hallway and then is nearly crushed. This is what we referenced earlier. She's nearly crushed by a statue of the High Evolutionary. And it's like, oh, my God, you again? Leave uh-huh. me the fuck alone. This is the third piece of high high evolutionary art um, that she's encountered in this episode. Yep. Yep. But uh, she's nearly crushed, but, you know, she isn't crushed. But in all of this, like, chaos and craziness and things falling and falling apart and, the you know, the whole infrastructure is made out of saltine crackers, Mm -hmm. the floor underneath her just, like, straight up crumbles. So she's falling, and that's when finally we have these two storylines intersect as the vulture swoops in and catches her yeah they have an interesting exchange karen is like who are you and instead of just saying vulture's like someone who cares but no time for introductions because <laughs> he can't say his name he can't say he's the vulture i know right it's so weird so weird <laughs> uh anyway well they fly away from the castle and as they do that it collapses but they are showered with symbiote spores and begin to transform so out of the frying pan into the fire? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably would have been safer in the castle, although it crumbles, so maybe not. Yeah, they wouldn't have been safe anywhere. Nope, nope. <laughs> so Spider-Man, Jameson, Tiger, and Git approach Empire State University, and they look outside and see a number of neosymbiotes that are oozing along the ground, absorbing even more spores. So these are not like specific characters. We just at this point are to understand that many people now are transformed and that the the city is populated with a number of uh, neosymbiote hordes. So when they get to ESU specifically, uh, Spider-Man notices something interesting in that John is nursing some kind of injury behind his shoulder. Hmm. And I can kind of imagine what this would look like given where it ends. He's probably like reaching over his over his shoulder onto his back. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of, John writes it off as like, I must have bruised my arm or bruised myself or something like that. But they don't really have time to process this because they are then attacked by that group of neosymbiotes. Mm-hmm. As they fight off that group, uh, they're able to fight them off long enough to get inside and find Dr. Borofsky, who was not recycled. Which is good, I guess. I mean, it is good because I still don't think he's a bad guy, but it's kind of a horrifying moment to think about. So it's it's fine you're alive, man. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, good for them because they would have been screwed if he was. Oh, my gosh. I (laughs) know. Spider-Man would have been kicking himself for letting this guy die. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, he is trapped underneath a cabinet. Um, so, you know, they come in, they free him. But, you know, they, they really can't do much before the neosymbiotes are already making their way into the lab. So this is going to be a rush job no matter what. Borofsky explains that, yeah, they do have that Thetasonic blaster, but the whole planet is infected. So, like, a one little gun isn't going to do anything. That's not going to mm-hmm. be enough. 
Well, Lord Tiger, however, offers up a solution. So he mentions that the High Evolutionary maintained a secret network of satellites around the globe, and they should be able to use that to transmit the Thetasonic waves on a planetary scale. So Borofsky's like, he doesn't disagree with it, but he's like, oh, I don't know, that seems, a little, I don't know. I think John's the one who's like, but you need a source transmitter. And it's like, John, what the fuck do you know about this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was an astronaut, but like still. That's true. Yeah, we kind of forget because he acts like such an asshole and an idiot all the time that like, John Jameson has to be a scientist, right? Like, aren't all astronauts technically also scientists? Do they? I don't. They I have guess, to be, or I guess you can just be. Well, military like you can be military. You from being scientists, though. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know enough about astronauts. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what your knowledge because I don't know what your knowledge base has to be um, huh. to be an astronaut. That's a good question. Actually, yeah, can you just be like a military pilot, and is that enough to be an astronaut, or do you also have to be like a scientist athlete? military pilot <laughs> yeah i that's a really good question i'm assuming not all astronauts are pilots right hmm. no couldn't no be. they couldn't be i don't but a lot of them probably have to be i don't know <laughs> i've watched so many space movies and have no, and, and still have no idea so yeah, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah the source transmitter thing is brought up and they're like oh well we can use the dish on the roof. However, it is damaged. So, you know, a lot they're, they're going to have to do right now to make all this work. So they yes. agree to split up. So Spidey and John are going to go up to the roof and repair the dish that's up there, while Borovsky, Tiger, and Git are going to stay behind in the lab to try to start up the program. So using the uh, Satasonic Blaster, John is able to kind of clear away for himself and Spidey to head towards the roof. But on the way, John's like, oh, shit. Well, <laughs> damn. Something's that pain, happening. that pain that I had, uh, I guess I was in denial about it because it's my whole werewolf thing is happening again. So he's about, he realizes he's about to transform and lingers behind. And on the roof, Spidey gets there before him and begins immediately repairing the dish. And then we cut back into the lab, which is cutting back and forth rapidly uh, throughout this like whole rest of the sequence, pretty much. That's another reason why I think they would have cut stuff from this episode, because there are a number of cuts back and forth that they probably could have cut down. Oh, definitely. Because there's some of them where it's just like, uh, they're in a car and they're driving. Anyway, like, yeah, they need yeah. that. Yeah, in this case, they cut back to the lab where Borofsky and Git are working on the uh, Thetasonic equipment. And then Lord Tiger, we get some exposition from him where he's like accessing the satellite system and is like, we need this override key and that's absolutely required to access the system. But like it could blow everything up if I put even one wrong number into it. He says specifically one wrong number and boom. Yes, probably an overcomplication, but it doesn't not make sense. Yeah, but it also doesn't like add anything to this. It, exactly. It doesn't add anything, but it, it it makes sense but doesn't add anything. So that's another thing they probably could have could have ultimately sort of chopped. They really could have just had Lord Tiger at a computer console and it would have been fine. When they said that though, I was thinking like, "Oh, maybe this plan isn't going to work." I thought that too. That's what I thought the point of doing that was, but that's that's not really where it goes. <laughs> no. Because on the roof, Spider-Man continues to make progress on the dish and Jameson finally meets up with him. But we hear a growl and Spidey turns around and he sees, wait a second, we got to cut to Tiger because he's punching in a number. <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Well, whatever. So we're going to cut back to the roof where <laughs> Spider-Man sees Jameson falling, explaining that his implant has shorted out 
and he starts to transform. I get the impression from this script that this is a slower transformation than we've seen thus far, and that Jameson is sort of more successfully fighting it than he has in the past, because there are a few more beats, I feel like, yeah, before he gets to it than we've seen in the past. Because what he does while he's transforming, basically in an attempt to prevent Manwolf from just fucking up the whole plan, is he tries to literally jump off the building, Jeez. which is like, holy shit. And that only really makes sense if he's not fully transformed yet. So you know he's not doing it as Manwolf. Spider-Man, of course, is like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that today, John. I don't know what you're trying to do, but we're not doing it. So he saves John from doing that. But of course, this results in John fully transforming into Man-Wolf and Man-Wolf attacking Spider-Man. I feel like they would have cut the suicide thing. I know this show doesn't have, seem to have a ton of censorship on it, but that seems like a lot. Like, I feel yeah. like they would have cut that. I think they would have cut it, too, because I don't think it really... I think it... It adds to the character, but it doesn't add to the story. Yeah. It also it, it echoes Eddie, so it's something they could have done something with at some point. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it adds to what's going on because we're kind of like in the middle of, of what's essentially the climax of this episode. Yeah. And it doesn't really inform any of that. It's sort of an extra step. And we know that they've, well, I don't know, depending on, or based on what they've cut in the past for, for stuff they've kept. I don't know. Maybe they would have kept it. but <laughs> That's true. But yeah, suicide seems like, like quite a bit. It's much more explicit than Eddie's sort of desire to, to die instead. Uh, they right. never make that explicit. That's a conclusion we're drawing. This is, I don't know. I guess we're probably drawing the conclusion too, but he's literally trying to jump off the building. I don't, I don't think that's drawing conclusions. I, Cause they say that in the script directly that he tries to jump off of the building. Right. <laughs> right. We're assigning intention, but I think the intention is quite obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like I said, it doesn't really add anything because they end up clashing in what seems like it would have been a cool sequence if they actually could afford to do the whole thing. Mm. It seems like a pretty long sequence. So they probably couldn't have done the whole thing. <laughs> But it ends with Spider-Man grabbing that Thetasonic Blaster and shooting it at Man-Wolf, which ends up resulting in Man-Wolf jumping off the building anyway, which is fine because I think we're supposed to understand that he could do that as Man-Wolf, but not as John. But it, I mean, he just, he leaves anyway. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they could have just, he could have transformed, they could have clashed and he could have run off and you would have saved yourself uh, probably a whole page of the script. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. So, huh. I don't know. Either way, Spidey's like, well, okay, I guess that's over with anyway, and then goes back to working on the dish. But as he does, it's like, of course, this is never ending. The spider sense kicks in, and a group of neo-symbiotes crawl over the roof's edge to surround him. At the end of Act 2, spider sense isn't kicking in until the end of Act (laughs) 2. Yep. What if that was just a thing? What if that was always a thing? It never happens until the end of Act 2. That'd be funny. Wow. That's true. Maybe it's like... It's it's shorted out earlier because so much is happening at the beginning that I was just like, you're just in danger all the time, bud. What's the point of even going off if, if everything bad is happening? Well, I, <laughs> I thought about that, actually, because because when I was thinking about like what my response would be, I, I almost said, no, it's not because it doesn't work on symbiotes because they're literally surrounded by symbiotes. But they're not only surrounded by symbiotes. There's just literally shit happening constantly. So it's probably more likely that it just never turned off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, yep. it shouldn't work because Neo symbiotes. They're not a symbiote that he was like bonded to or related to. So. Oh, good call. So it's just Venom. Oh, yeah. So wait. Oh, wait. No, but Carnage is spawn of Venom. So it probably yeah. doesn't work on Carnage. That makes Pretty sense. Pretty much okay. every every symbiote like generally is always a spawn of Venom. So that's how they can always explain it right. away. And these would be different. So it would go off. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. I didn't even think of that. Good point. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I like the note that you made here because it is 100% right. Because uh, this is the end of Act 2, and there's only like a few pages left of the script. So this is almost certainly where we get our characteristic three minutes left <laughs> commercial break. And we're just going to rush the ending like normal. I'm sure we would get like something cut off midline and... Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's this just this show in the nutshell. For sure. So after this almost certainly three minutes left commercial break, Spider-Man connects the last wire and the Neo symbiotes close in. And similarly, Lord Tiger uh, downstairs punches in the last number as he's consumed by some synoptic goo. The dish activates and shoots a beam into space. It bounces off of a bunch of satellites around <laughs> Counter-Earth, and then all of those satellites shoot beams downward and save the day. And we see that this is true because we see a bunch of bestials and humans throughout the city separated from their symbiotes, including Vulture and Karen outside the castle, Hector Naoko. The script says Shane and the injured man at the clinic. So... It seems like Shane also was taken over, which is pretty intense. Yeah. I imagine maybe that would be different in the final cut. Probably. Get Lord Tiger and Borofsky in the lab and all the Neo symbiotes attacking Spider-Man on the roof, which the script clarifies as being collegiate bestials. <laughs> I love that. So they're probably all like in like hoodies and, yeah. <laughs> and college t-shirts. <laughs> yes. I like that a lot. And then we get an interesting little, just a little brief thing where he's like, Spidey begins to celebrate. He's all excited. And he's like, oh, I can't wait till I tell Mary Jane. And then like stops short, like remembering, oh, nah, I saved the world, but not the world that she's on. That mm-hmm. sucks. Um, and it's a little sad. It is a little bit devastating because it's like the most intense, probably the most intense thing that has ever happened in his entire life happening on this day. <laughs> and he can't even tell his girlfriend slash wife slash partner slash whatever yeah about it yeah i like that they at least bring that up in this first episode of the second season yeah the episode itself ends with bromley who's no longer a neo symbiote of course and he's waking up in the rubble separated from his symbiote wondering where everybody is which would probably be pretty horrifying but he doesn't really have any time to figure it out because he's confronted by some sort of enormous mystery shadow thing I don't know if this means we're going to be like looking at his face and he's just sort of like consumed by a shadow and then it cuts out as he yells because they don't really describe what it is and we don't get clarification in the script. Right. So I don't know if this is just like another Venom Carnage mashup thing. If this is like Symbiote Attack Part 2, not really sure, but uh, it won't be long before we figure it out. Okay. Well, what did you think of this first episode of the second season we did like a little bit of of overall and the fact that like it does feel a bit more like probably a conclusion to the first season than the actual conclusion of the first season but like just as an episode itself not having seen it <laughs> sure but it, you can even you can get the vibe from it though because even uh, it's definitely feels different than any other any other episode of the show just based on its scope um and i don't even mean like the conflict and this and like the situation they're in, but like literally how many characters it follows mm-hmm. separately and how much intercutting it has to do. Like, yeah, it's an episode that I could see the final product being a big mess just because they are trying to juggle too many things that they definitely could not fit into a single episode. Yeah. So I would have been really curious to see how it turned out. I, I feel like it would have been hard to be strong, but I think it would have been really fun to watch. It would not have been a boring episode. And I think yeah. that, the bigger moments in it, mainly X-51, even like Naoko reuniting with Hector, even though we don't get much of it, like it's such a big thing that's happening 
that yeah. like I think those things would have carried the episode even if the rest of it was a big mess or stuff even stuff like Lord Tiger actually like fully teaming up with the revolutionaries like all that stuff is stuff that for me I really wanted to see or was excited to see or read I guess in this case so I think just based on those things there is just enough good stuff in it that like could have been a mess but I still would have enjoyed it and even reading it like it didn't feel like a mess but it did feel like it was uh, I don't I don't know if I would say that this was like a great episode just because it's it's having it's having to do so much work, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's not really telling a story so much as just like, OK, it, it feels like a checklist of things that it needed to get to to resolve or address, which isn't a bad thing for like the resolution of a big two parter slash a season premiere slash kind of the season finale. Like, it's not a bad thing. But I think just on that alone, it makes it harder to be like a great episode because it's the story is just inherently going to be a little fragmented. But yeah. I do like the idea of like in an apocalyptic scenario, you're almost seeing vignettes of all of the characters. Like it's an interesting structure for it to have. Yes. So that's I mean, I think that's sort of what makes this episode unique and especially interesting to me is that like I don't think I could say that the story of this episode is. I I don't even know if I could say it's bad because I don't even think there's really much of a story present Sure. because it is just sort of like, hey, we left you off here and now here's the sort of actual climax and aftermath, like all sort of happening. So it ends up being this sort of like probably in in reality a mess. But as I'm reading it, just sort of like this rip roaring sprint of like, yeah, of like disaster. Yeah. And and it makes it different than a lot of what we've seen on this episode or this season or this series, because (laughs) each episode tends to have its own self-contained story that contributes to the larger overall thing. But this episode is almost entirely just the overall stuff. Right. So there's no like like smaller piece to it. It doesn't make it good as a standalone. But I think as far as just like. I mean, if if they ended up pulling this episode off in the way that I think would result in a, a really super fun episode, I think what you're preparing for is just like hit play, holy shit, everything is happening and never really <laughs> stops happening. Yeah. Um, but it's all connected to something until finally they 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 can take a breath, right? Like it's almost yeah. it's almost like it's almost like a a, a cinematic hero battle at the end all on its own with them finally like falling on the ground at the end being like <laughs> we did it right like <laughs> that's like this episode is all just that scene pretty much yeah which again isn't really a story but uh could be fun if they were able to pull it off i also don't have a whole lot of confidence that they would have managed that because i do think the script feels long for 22 minutes mm-hmm. and so i i i i am scared of what effect that would have on the final product but I thought it was I thought it was really fun. I, I had a lot more fun reading the script than I expected I would. I am bummed, and this is gonna come as no surprise. I'm very bummed that your your uh facetious prediction uh-huh. about uh it all wrapping up in the first episode of this season kinda came true. I'm hoping that the tease at the end of this is an indication that that's not actually the case, but I think it probably is. Uh, I much would have rather had a sort of planet venom or like synoptic planet type situation mm-hmm. where it might not be the conflict every single episode, but it's the backdrop through which everything is is sort of uh, or against which everything is sort of happening and they're working towards that. I don't know if that means they make it more of a planetary this this would be well, I don't know if anything's too ambitious for the show, but 
they could have made it even sort of like a planetary affair and gotten out of New York a little bit since mm-hmm. they, they did say that, that this was happening all over the world. So yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot they could have done if they had not tied it all up. But yeah. I don't know. I'm curious. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And I, 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 it does feel like the structure makes sense for 1999 when they were writing it because that's was a lot rare, if ever, to see you like blow up the world in a way that we were kind of hoping that sure. it kind of seemed like they were on the verge of doing. Yeah. Um, like that wasn't really as common, especially after only one season. And doing what would be the equivalent of like a 13 part episode. Like Spider-Man, the animated series got ambitious, but I don't know that they did a 13 part episode. (laughs) Yeah. Like not really. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So like, it's, yeah, like you, there's, there's arc based storytelling and, but I don't think that this show was like that hard into that. So yeah. Yeah. It would have been interesting, but I, but at the same time, it does feel like there was enough game changing elements that like season two still would have felt different, even if not as like radically different from the status quo as we were kind of hoping it would be, but it still is clearly going to be different in, in some way. Yes. Well, shall we, shall, shall we do it? Shall we rip yeah. off the bandaid? Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to thank our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole, Katie, and Joe. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into, the first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30 where... If you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So like we mentioned, we are on TVWriter.com, and this is provided to us by Larry Brody, one of the writers of most of these episodes. And the way that he sort of introduces this title, Spider-Man Unlimited Second Season Arc, and then his little one-sentence explanation is, here you go, exactly as I wrote it for the Fox Kids and Saban Entertainment powers that were more than a decade and a half ago. (laughs) so it looks like it's probably like a handful of large paragraphs long so do we just want to like alternate reading it word for word and sort of react along the way i'm cool with that yeah because then that way it's almost like a little bit real time (laughs) cool all right so Okay, and actually this clarifies things instantly. So it says uh, these are episodes written per Fox's season two five episode pickup. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I guess they were in production of season one and then they didn't renew it for a full season two. They were just like, well, let's do five more episodes and then they would decide after that. God, they couldn't have just done the five. 
God, and that's so weird. That's such a weird number because, like, even if they do, like, a short season, it's usually, like, six. Like, I wonder why five. I'm very curious about what the thinking was. I guess it would make it 18 episodes. That's a weird number. Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I guess it is weird. It feels like a good number, but it's weird in TV. Yeah, that's that's a really bizarre number. Um, So I don't really understand what the thinking was there. Hmm. I would love to ask about that. Anyway, so. Whoa. Oh, God. Oh, God. You should read the first paragraph because I just happened to see something. (laughs) Okay. And the first paragraph is the first episode that we just discussed, but wow. (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. So episode 14, which is is the first episode of season two that we discussed, entitled Destiny Unleashed Part 2. The synopsis is, with the help of the goblin and a minor assist from Vulture, Spidey and the rebels keep the synoptic from succeeding. When the smoke clears, the good news is that the High Evolutionary and Sir Ram have been soundly defeated and the Knights of Wondergore scattered. The bad news is that Venom and Carnage, although out of the picture for now, have merged into the awesome villain known as King Carnage. That's what I just saw. It was in all caps. I couldn't help it. (laughs) That's what we didn't know from the end of the season. Or for that end of the episode. So they were (laughs) straight up like, God, Carnage is so boring, barely any different from Venom. Neither of them are differentiated. Let's just make them one. Let's just make them one guy. Just make them one guy. is a little weird since we already kind of saw them do that. And they got blown up immediately. And they got blown up immediately. I mean, I'm sure they would have been doing something different. I hope. We'll see in just a moment. I'm blown away that that's what they were going to do. Um... Not blown away. I wasn't 100% expecting that, though. And uh, I'm a little bummed because one thing that I struggled with a couple episodes ago with the sort of like Karen high evolutionary thing is that like they have reveal moments that kind of are just echoes of moments that already happened. So hopefully hopefully King Carnage is, is different enough or bigger or badder enough from the combination we've already seen mm-hmm. that it would still feel significant. <laughs> huh. Let's find out. All right. So episode 15 would have been called Cat Got Your Tongue. And it is, here's the synopsis. So Spidey and the rest of the inhabitants of Counter-Earth must now deal with the results of what happened last episode, a newer world order. Jameson and the rebels work with Lord Tiger to form a just and representative government for bestials and humans alike. What? And Goblin comes home to Naoko and Shane. Shall we pause for just a moment? That's huge. That is not what I expected at all. And what a fucking wild direction. Also, and I haven't scrolled beyond that specific line, but it's interesting that that first synopsis in this like arc pitch thing says that the good news is that the High Evolutionary and Sir Ram have been soundly defeated, and then in this next one say that they're creating a representative government for bestials and humans alike. I mean, I, it, it still doesn't mean that they're not coming back, and it definitely doesn't mean that it's going to work, but it, wow. Okay, all right, okay. Okay, so they're trying to make a new government for the whole planet, maybe. Guess so. Wow. So, always able to make the worst of any situation. Oh, that is a hilarious, hilarious <laughs> Hilarious thing, given the next thing. (laughs) Always able to make the worst of any situation, Peter feels more lost and alone than ever, but doesn't have much time to think about it as he does some good old-fashioned sleuthing to find the culprit behind a series of daring robberies and discovers that the villain is not one, but three black cats. Bestial Siamese cat sisters who are beautiful, charming, and deadly. Oh, wow. Okay, 
So there's two big things in that synopsis. I'm guessing that the main episode is the three black cats and that the sort of background and the thing that is being set up, hopefully over the course of many episodes, is this attempt for Jameson and Lord Tiger to create a government. It just in the synopsis happens to take up half of the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what a fascinating like arc for that season to like, like that's such a political like thought experiment kind of thing to uh-huh. do. <laughs> like, well, because what, what they're, wow. what they're doing is basically, I mean, I, I imagine that what they're going to run into is we're creating a new government for the entirety of this population immediately after like days after you were very split and one population of you kind of had it made. We know that's not entirely true, but we know that also that like some bestials kind of had it made at the very least bestials could sort of live a life with blinders and just sort of like go status quo and not really challenge anything. So Mm -hmm. I got to imagine that this creates some like anti new government factions, probably from both sides bestials who who are more uh like the aftermath of the the high evolutionary zealots who are like opposed to any like equality but then like humans who are suspicious of bestials being able to uh, integrate them into their lives or have any sort of like power whatsoever so i think there's interesting stuff that could come of it but i'm just shocked that that's that's what was going to happen fascinating god i would have loved to see that because that would have been so such weird material for a kid's show to delve into Uh uh-huh yeah what does that look like right like how are they able wow i'm just like kind of in awe that they were gonna like i'm sure you know they're it's it could only get but so in depth like i'm not expecting it to have like very complicated conversations about this but this show has kind of delved into political things with a generally fairly deft hand, I would mm-hmm. say, even when it's done pretty subtly. So, like, God, that would have been so interesting. I mean, even if it weren't super subtle or or nuanced, even just the show having a scene where, I mean, it, it, as corny as it could be, like, this is still a kid's show. So even if it's just Jameson being like, everybody gets a vote, and then you have people reacting like they don't deserve a vote or they can't handle this power. Like, that's still significant, even if it's yeah. super watered down. Yeah, it's like a, that's still a microcosm of like a lot of, you know, real world government science. Yeah. So, uh-huh. Dang. Also, I love the idea of of black cat being three different cats. <laughs> yeah. Like I know we don't really see that part of the episode in this synopsis, but I just love that as a concept. That I like that too. That's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next episode, this is episode 16 slash the third episode of the season. It's entitled Nightwalker. To Jameson's dismay, Spidey and Karen grow closer. Oh, God. Oh, wait a second. Jameson, I mean, I know that this would have been ironed out um, in the actual scripts, but we didn't see where Jameson ended up at the end of the first episode. Oh, yeah. I wonder so if it was just So in the synopsis, be... he just sort of like hops back into things. Probably like a throwaway line, like, we found you with the, the, the sleeping in the alley or something. Yeah. Yeah, he could just wake up in an alley somewhere. Like, who knows? The, the The second episode could have might be, like, six months later or something, too. Like, who oh, knows? Oh, true. True. That'd be cool. Yeah, so Spidey and Karen are growing closer? Ugh. <gasps> I don't like it. Stop it. <gasps> don't like it. So they're basically, like, he had the hots for Naoko. Then her husband came back. So now he's got to latch onto the other lady because he's got to be horny for somebody. Boo. <sighs> Yeah, so Spidey and Karen grow closer as she becomes the human's best liaison with Lord Tiger's government. 
in Washington D.C. Wow, so they <laughs> are gonna be well, they are gonna be like world faring or at least country faring. Cool. That. In Washington D.C., Spidey swings into action when a secret assassin starts taking out the rebels one by one. With Karen's turn next, who is the Nightwalker? An angry bestial? A former Knight of Wondergore? Or is it a jealous Jameson? Huh? An embittered Bromley? Huh? Spidey has to find out in order to save Karen's life. So I okay. guess it w- would have been like a whodunit type of thing. I love the concept for this this episode. It's fascinating to read the synopses, though, because we have no context for the embittered Bromley. <laughs> Although I guess I guess Bromley is somebody who would be opposed probably to the oh. idea of working with bestials. Yeah. Um, and would not necessarily be super on the side of like the human politicians who are trying to work towards that. So maybe yeah. that's the idea that they were going for. But I love this concept. I'm sure this would actually sort of manifest as somebody just kidnapping rebels. <laughs> yeah, not actually killing them. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> but interesting, Nightwalker. Okay, so this poses... Now, I wonder... I mean, we'll find out probably in the next episode synopsis, but I wonder if this is something that's resolved in this episode. Do we learn who the Nightwalker is at the end, or is this going to like carry over into the next episode? Good question. I don't know. I wonder that, too. Let's... See, so what would be the fourth episode of that season is called Model Behavior, and it was going to be this. To cash in on the new social situation, a bestial movie producer (laughs) offers Spidey a deal to star in a human exploitation film. Oh my god. (laughs) What? Like, like a black exploitation film kind of thing? Like, I guess so. Wow. Okay. Peter's reluctant. Duh. Until he discovers that Counter Earth's version of Mary Jane oh my God. Oh is my God. one of the actresses vying to be his co-star. Spidey's Hollywood adventure turns deadly, however, when he finds out just how this Mary Jane got her good looks and has to face her creator, huh? Scramble, a bestial with the power to control and instantly morph any living flesh that he touches or that touches him. Whoa. That was a roller coaster. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, right off the bat, this episode, if not handled correctly, would have been incredibly problematic because basically it would have resulted in like the moment where he finds out that Mary Jane is ugly. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. But the idea of Scramble basically being one, this season already is introducing a bunch of like new villains. And like almost almost like new monsters of the week, uh, yeah. which is kind of cool. But the fact that Scramble is kind of like chameleon, but for others instead of their like themselves. Oh yeah, is kind of neat. Yeah, that's really neat because it, it it complicates chameleon's powers to have to rely on other people. Huh? Like he has the power to to create the decoy, but he doesn't have full control over the decoy. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Him being sort of a chameleon counterpart. That's so fascinating. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. Oh, I would like to see that. Yeah. Kind of. I don't really love the like how they introduce this Mary Jane character, and I don't know if she sticks around. Uh, probably not, uh, based yeah. on how that synopsis turned out, but we'll see. Because, of yeah. course, if she's ugly. Why would Peter be into her if she's ugly? Right, ew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder if it was that she's not actually Mary Jane at all. It's just like making her look beautiful makes her look like Mary Jane. Okay. 
that could be that could be the case. Okay. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Okay. That actually that could be okay because if he's basically like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful, and she turns around and it's Mary Jane, and he's like, oh my god, it's Mary Jane, and then when he finds out, it does. It's not that she gets ugly, but she just turns into like a different beautiful woman. And he's like bothered because it's not Mary Jane, not the fact that she's ugly. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll go. We'll pretend that's what it's it is. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Not, not great. <laughs> yeah. All right. And this final episode of this uh, five episode pickup called is called Sojourn. Is that how you say that word? I always see that I word, but no I never idea. heard it out loud. I never say it right. Sojourn. 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 Uh, this, <laughs> the synoptic's <laughs> powerful new entity. King Carnage returns. Although torn by true inner conflict between the human sides of his Venom and Carnage components, he pulls himself together, searching for the interdimensional portal that originally brought the High Evolutionary to Counter-Earth. Oh, 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 oh. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, so uh, he's searching for this portal in order to use it to expand the synoptic. When Goblin is injured trying to stop the monster symbiote, Spidey swings into action, hoping to use the portal to return to Earth and the real Barry Chain. In an ironic twist, Spidey does indeed find and use the portal, but with him is a stowaway, Jameson. And in a final crisis, it's Jameson who ends up on Earth, with Spidey back with the bestials once more. Oh, oh, dang. Interesting. Because it sounds like Jameson has like fully just decided to stay there. Right. If he's building a government or at least he's planning to be there even longer than expected because he's building a government. Yeah. So we got the whole little ironic twist thing there. I, hmm. I you know, I, I, it's that sucks for Spider-Man, but yeah. I appreciate that for like the elongation of the show's central arc. And that's a nice complication. Mm-hmm. And I would not be mad if Jameson's written out of the show because he's a- annoying. <laughs> Yeah, I like the complication. I also would be fine with Jameson just not being around, even if just for a significant period of time. And I like the way that this synopsis is describing King Carnage's sort of inner conflict. It sounds like it's probably the type of thing that he would encounter or deal with frequently. I think that the fact that they describe it as like pulling himself together indicates that that's that he's not entirely stable as a single entity. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, And I like that, I think. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, we have one more pretty big paragraph. That's the overall arc for the rest of season two. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking what what it was is they had that five episode pickup and then the remainder it says 19 through 24, which is six episodes, which does make some sense for like another pickup of another order of episodes. So they probably still were expecting to get six more episodes at least. All right, so here's what they had planned for the rest of that season. So 19 through 24. Spidey will continue to deal with both the issues of Counter-Earth's new society and various mysteries and supervillains, both human and bestial, as he goes on a last-ditch hunt for the remaining spaceship that may be able to bring him back home. Episodes alternate between New York and his altered relationship with Naoko, Shane, and Goblin, Mm -hmm. and his travels around this new planet. Yo, it is planetary, where he encounters Lady Ursula, now the head of the Russian black market. Whoa. Electro. Yeah. Oh, my God. Who set up his own little kingdom, not unlike Latveria. Yes. The counter-Earth Panther, while searching through the jungles of Wakanda. Holy shit. The black cats and others. 
In the end, however, societal concerns come to the fore as, just when things are looking brightest for bestial human relations, the High Evolutionary and Sir Ram return, as we expected. Big surprise. Angrier and more powerful than ever. In a butt-kicking two-part finale, Spidey rises out of the ashes of agonizing defeat and sends both of them packing forever. And, at last, rockets his way to home to those he has missed for so long. Fade out? question mark yo i kind of think this season would be like kind of dope that would be really <laughs> cool and, and you know part of me thinks that it mm, i'm underestimating like the lengths that nerd rage goes but i sort of feel like that would sort of in a way mediate some of the frustrations that people had with the show because it's very clearly meant to be like exploring the Marvel universe as a whole just through the counter-Earth lens. Yeah. And I think people would really dig that a little more because we really didn't get very much of that in the first season because it was so focused on the world building of counter-Earth. Now, this is more like what if counter-Earth really did look a little more like the Marvel universe. And it's offering up new villains too. So it's not like it would only be a bunch of... Like, uh, like counter characters, like you get some of that, but then they're also introducing new stuff too. So I think that, I think that's cool. Like, I think that's really cool. Lots of references, lots of fun nerd stuff. I'm sure the people who hated it just would have continued hating it maybe, but I don't know. Sure. And what's so what sucks so much is that like, if they got, if they really did get the full order for all of these episodes and we're sort of like. We haven't been ordered for more. We're going to plan for an ending because they clearly plan for a pretty epic ending with a definitive finale, which, you know, could easily – they could easily do something if it got renewed for another season to to, to keep going. But, like, if it ended here, it would have been a fine, complete series. And it's such a bummer that they really legit had a plan for an actual ending, not just, like, a good finale, but, like, let's end this full story and have Peter leave different – uh, having grown than where he started making, you know, the whole thing have a point. And yet we still like, didn't even get to see, we barely got to see just over half of it. We saw just over half of that story essentially. Uh, yeah. That's a bummer, but what a, what a cool concept regardless. Yeah. God, I love huh. that. I was uh, really, I was really unsure going into this, how I was like, what, what was, what was going to be coming out of this, but I really <laughs> like how this all sounds. Oh, that's so cool. Spider-Man Unlimited. You're cool. You're cool. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Now we just need to find the interdimensional portal so that we can travel to the reality where this actually exists and we can watch it. <laughs> Because I've said before, that's what I want to use my, like, Rick and Morty powers for, is just to watch media we never got. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, it would be one of the more responsible ways to use interdimensional travel. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. Very true, because you can't really screw up anybody's world. You can't really fuck anything up. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Man. Uh, yeah. Same here. Same here. Wow. It's like, it's such a, it's like a bummer, but it's also, like, so... I feel kind of energized after reading that too because it's yeah. sort of like everything that I was sort of thinking about the show, you're always sort of unsure, right? It's sort of like how much are the writers really aware of what they're doing? How much are they really planning? Is the potential that I'm seeing like actually there? Because even like in the penultimate episode, I was even talking about like, oh, I think I like this because of where it, the potential of where it could go. Mm-hmm. And even though some of the things that I was sort of looking for the series to go, the directions that I was looking for the series to go isn't really being notated or, or brought up in this arc, the fact that like, the groundwork that was being laid that we were kind of excited about was 
setting up like really big things that yeah. would have been cooler than anything that we saw and really have kind of seen in any Spider-Man show just based on like the crazy complexity of it. Yeah. I feel so good about having watched this show now, even though mm-hmm. we didn't actually see how it all ended. Ugh, I know. Ah. Uh. So, so wonderful. So like, wonderful. no other Spider-Man show is going to be trying to, like, build no. a new government and, like, tour the world, trying to, like, <laughs> no. bring the world, bring, like, w- warring, like, races together and, like, trying to, like, rise up an oppressed class and, like, mediate class differences and <laughs> unite people. Like, that's not a Spider-Man sh- thing, like, ever. So yeah. seeing it through the lens of Peter Parker having to be the one to do that is so interesting. I know. Oh, it'd be so cool. Well... As Larry Brody says himself at the end of this this article, page, whatever, <laughs> says, ah, if only we had the chance to produce the already written episodes and write and produce all the rest. <sighs> Man. Well, thanks, Larry. Thanks for everything you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that is it for our Spider-Man Unlimited coverage on the main feed. Yeah. But we still have a couple things planned for our Patreon feed. So if you would like to stay posted on that kind of stuff, check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. There are a couple things we have planned, and just based on the fact that I don't think I will ever be able to let this series go, I'm sure other things will pop up. If you would like to follow us as individuals online to see what we're working on, Derek, where can people find you? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. What about you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. And you can also find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you would like to follow all things Walloping Web Snappers, you can check out our website, wallopingwebsnappers.com. You can also follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. If you listened to this episode and were somebody who watched Spider-Man Unlimited and weren't really feeling it, but now know where it was supposed to go and feel differently, or don't, let us know. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts so other people can find what we're doing and all of our Spider-Man Unlimited coverage. And finally, next week, we will be returning to Marvel Rising and hanging out with Spider-Gwen in Battle of the Bands. Rock on! I was going to say literally the same thing. No way. (laughs) Nice. Bye.